All right, well, I guess we're live now, so we can start uh, talking about some 9-11 conspiracies. Um, uh-huh. Is there anywhere that you want to start out, like uh, any spot well, I, you want to start on? I think that the most interesting place to start is just, like, people's initial observations of the event. So you have, like, three or four options essentially you have the people who see it and then watch the news and believe the initial story you have the people who see it have questions but they aren't interested enough to ask them you have the people who ask those questions after seeing there's some discrepancies and then they dive into it and have really really strong beliefs about what actually happened so you have the people who think that there weren't airplanes. You have the people that think there were bombs in the building and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. then the fourth group of people is the people who see the news, see the event, have a lot of questions, dive into it, and then still can't figure it out. And that's essentially where I'm at. But I still like looking into each individual aspect of what could have went wrong. Was it a cover-up? Was it just yeah inconsistencies things like that right yeah i think after doing like just doing more research on this too i kind of came to that too it it almost seemed like no one really knows what happened like the 9-11 commission report there were a lot of statements uh let me try to find one right now um but they they took samples of like perimeter columns um, but they only took like 1% and 3% of the core columns of these buildings and then the outside columns of these buildings. And then they say, mm-hmm. well, we didn't take enough evidence to really give us a good picture of what actually happened. So it sounds like the research that, you know, the 9-11 Commission Report and NIST did, uh, a lot of the times their data just seems like there's not enough data at all. So it's yeah. almost like they're just coming up with their own theories of what might have happened. It seems like they don't even know necessarily how the towers fell, like like uh, like scientifically, like how did these things happen? A lot of times just feel like yeah. we don't, I don't know, feel like we don't know. Mm-hmm. And what I kind of wrestle with with the entire 9-11 commission report is there's a lot of conflicts of interest of like responsibilities for what actually happened that day Mm -hmm. and those people were also on the investigation team going into it so it's like yeah was it just that they were incompetent in finding this information where they generally just not presented the information or did they have an interest in not presenting what actually happened because i've seen and i think we can probably put in videos um even if it's just without audio at the end of family members of firefighters, people that were living or working in the buildings and police officer, family members who passed away at the 9-11 commission reports, screaming at the reporters or the people who are on the panel to answer their questions. Because it was basically like the people who were asking the questions were giving them softballs. Mm -hmm. Questions that they already knew the answer to, questions that were really inconsequential at the end of the day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think there were, I think I remember you sent me a few of those videos. Um, and I just remember there were like firemen who, you know, they had all this asbestos. You know, they were, both uh-huh. those buildings had so much asbestos in them. Uh, I think it was almost like yeah. 300 to 400 tons. And, you know, that just 
covered up the whole, like all of New York City and all those firemen who were running through those buildings and on ground zero and even those people, like everyone involved in the situation. Well, even even afterwards during the cleanup. They're getting like, weren't they getting like mesothelioma and these cancers and stuff like that? Yeah. yeah and it's like, okay, I guess that's one thing we could start talking about was just these buildings in general, they had so many strange, they were bought two months before 9-11, you know, uh-huh. like, I guess let's you start know, the there. insurance policies. Right, yeah, so yep. let's, I guess we can start there with uh, Larry Silverstein, who, he already owned Building 7, and we know Building 7, shoot, my microphone just fell. <laughs> we already know Building 7 came down for whatever reason. Um, yeah. And he bought a 99-year lease, uh, looks like four months before the attack. And he bought it mm-hmm. from the Port Authority, who was, they were in like a 10-year court battle with insurance companies over this asbestos removal. Um, the documentary that I was watching, uh, they said that it was like an estimated $1 billion just to remove asbestos. So uh-huh. I don't know, man. I mean, like if you're so the Port Authority, they or they originally owned these towers, right? And yeah. they they don't want to pay. They had already done um, a few floors of asbestos removal, and they had done like just a few like tile removal, not even necessarily like insulation, just vinyl tiles that had asbestos in them, and some of those some of those jobs were costing them literally like half a million to a million dollars. So they had gotten their feet wet in this and obviously they didn't want to continue with it. So they sold, they sold the towers of Larry Silverstein. And then as we know, four months later, they came down. Uh, another uh-huh. weird, the, I think the weirdest fact about that whole situation was Larry Silverstein. He worked in, I can't remember which tower. I think it was the North tower. Um, but he worked near the top of it too. And on the day of 9-11, he is supposed to have a meeting at a restaurant, um, in one of the towers. And his wife says, nope, you have a dermatologist meeting. You meet with your dermatologist, you can't go. Like, this is just not, and he had a scheduled meeting and his wife told him no, apparently. So fortunately for a really smart woman. (laughs) Fortunately for Mr. Larry Silverstein, he not only escaped, you know, his death, you know, he could have died and he owned those towers. Right. But he yeah. ended up getting how much was it? He's, he wanted seven billion. Uh, seven point. Yeah. I, I saw that you. Uh, yeah. Why don't you talk about that a bit more? I saw that you put some yeah. notes in on that. Well, first of all, first <laughs> of all, the thing that just kind of gets me is Larry Silverstein was already a successful businessman. Mm hmm. Why in the world would you buy such a liability? Because they did disclose that one of the problems that the Port Authority was having in that um, court case that we were talking about yeah. was the asbestos. Right. And there's no way that someone who's that successful, in my mind, would have taken on a liability without a plan to get rid of it. Exactly. And four months in, four months in, there was no additional work being done to remove the asbestos. Yeah. So I think that brings up the question of, not questioning his integrity in a certain way, but was his plan really to demolish the buildings in whatever way 
or to allow it to happen so that he wouldn't have to pay for the asbestos uh-huh. and would get the insurance payout afterwards. Because right. one thing that I found really interesting about him was he specifically stated that there were two different terrorist attacks, one on yeah. uh, one tower and another yeah. on the other, just so he could get more money. Yeah, that was, was I think that, that, I think when you look for motives in all of these situations, you have to look for motives, right? That's what we're trying to figure out is like, uh-huh. why are these people planning these things? Why would they, why would they be doing anything? And I feel like money has to be the number one reason most of the time. And mm-hmm. I don't know that right there. He, he was supposed to get what three and a half. I think the policy was three and a half to start. And then he said, yep. Well, there's two separate attacks. One tower got hit by one plane. The second tower got hit by the second plane. It's two different instances. So I should get double the money, which is just, it's ridiculous when you think about it. Like there's thousands of people that have died from this. And then, I mean, it's just ignorant. Obviously these two attacks were, they're planned. Like when two things like that happen within, I don't know, 20 minutes of each other, they're not coincidental. Like. Obviously, somebody mm-hmm. down the line planned for both of these planes to enter both of these towers. So the fact that he wanted to just get more money out of it by saying it's two different, that's just ridiculous to me. Yeah, well, just going back to his original thing of buying it, knowing that there's an asbestos problem, and then whether it was just based on luck or something he knew, mm-hmm. the buildings collapsed, there's no more asbestos problem. Essentially what that is, is you taking your entire bank account, dumping it into a stock blindly, or when you're drunk, and yeah. then waking up four months later, and it's now doubled in value, and the lawsuit that was against the company that you just bought That's stock a, in is gone. That is a really good point right? too. Like he, you mentioned before, he's a, he was a very successful man before this, and you don't, you're not dumb. People don't get billions of dollars, right? So he's not going to go into this situation without almost 100% certainty that he's going to come out on top, right? It's It yeah. seems so foolish. And I'm sure when he bought those towers, like that was, I'm sure that was the majority of his net worth, you know, billions of dollars put into those towers. But I don't know. It seems like obviously he knew something was going to happen that would allow him to come out with this a a brand new tower i think it's crazy too he there's a lot of videos of him talking and when he's talking about building this other tower he always mentions my three towers my three towers and it's like so Uh it's just so oh it's just i don't know it's just creepy almost like he's taking i I mean maybe he just took advantage of this situation right i mean i don't really know Mm -hmm. You know, it it doesn't seem like he just willy-nilly put himself in that situation and somehow this happened. And now he's doing TV interviews or, you know, obviously this was a long time ago, but it's just, it's yeah. weird that, yeah, somebody of that nature would risk so much for, uh-huh. I don't know, it's interesting, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's in addition to him not being at the towers that day. Another interesting aspect of it is the fact that his kids also worked at the towers. And oh, I believe really? The story behind them is that they slept in both of them. It was two kids, and they that... slept in that day. 
it's it's pretty controversial, but I kind of want to get off of him for a second and just move yeah. on. There were two other people that I was I was just kind of looking up some inconsistencies mm-hmm. or really surprising facts about it. Yeah, and I found that Michael Jackson actually had a meeting in the towers that day too, and he also slept in. Really, unrelated unrelated to the towers per se, but Mark Wahlberg was actually scheduled to be on flight 11. I think that was an American. Yeah, I think I remember hearing something about that. Yeah. Yep. And he chose to personally charter a different plane. See, it's, I don't, (laughs) okay. So this is, that's, that's the other thing, right? Um, I have some notes here. I think the secretary of defense, a few months before these attacks, the FBI was like, Hey, you got to start flying private charter. You know, we don't want you on public, public planes anymore because obviously Uh somebody had some information on you know these things might be happening that is crazy michael jack so michael jackson had a meeting mark we say mark Wahlberg or mark cuban mark Wahlberg, yeah interesting but what i am just confused about at those points is there's no way that Michael Jackson would have known not to go there. Exactly. Because so you can't like if if it is a conspiracy, uh-huh. there's only a certain amount of people who can be in on it right. before it just gets blown up. Exactly. And I think if Larry Silverstein and his wife or whoever, maybe not even his wife, I think that might just be a cover story for why he wasn't there. Right. But if yeah. he knew about it and a few more powerful people, maybe Rudy Giuliani, Donald Rumsfeld, George Bush, some higher level members of the CIA, FBI yeah. knew about it that would make sense because they would have such a small high level group that yeah. they couldn't take each other down. Right. But when you start getting into people who are still fairly influential, like actors and musicians, yeah. Yeah. you're just getting a little bit too outside the sphere of influence. So in those cases, I'm more inclined to think at least in the case of Michael Jackson, probably just an accident. He slept in maybe. He yeah. Too many drugs the night before and just couldn't wake up. Yeah. But Mark Wahlberg, that's a little bit different for me because you have to get pretty lucky to have one of the only planes that's going to crash in United States history, and it happens, but generally not on yeah. commercial airliners. Yeah. And you personally choose to charter a new one. So I don't really have anything more on that. It's just yeah. something to keep in your mind. Right. There's either a lot of people getting lucky here, <laughs> yeah. something's going on, and they knew about it. Yeah, well, that's that's the other thing, right? Is you can read into so many different facts. Like, I there's a lot. The documentary that I was watching, there were a lot of times where I was like, "That is super interesting," and it seems like just it could be such a coincidence. But there's a there's a fine line between people who who read information like that and they immediately they just run with it right they're like they just believe mm-hmm. it you know michael jackson the if they hear that about michael jackson i've heard tons of other random dumb conspiracies about michael jackson obviously if they believe one they're going to believe the other ones right they're just going to be yeah. when you're more inclined to believe something like that you're at some point you're just going to believe everything and it almost like it devalues it right like you hear people uh-huh. you the major people that are talking about 9-11, I don't even know the big, like, I do you even consider Alex Jones talk. He no, he, no one really talks about 9-11 anymore, right? Like, Yeah, no one talks about it unless it's really that day. Yeah, right. And it's like, I, I don't know. If you talk about this, it's almost like you're immediately just devalued. 
And I think that I feel like that's a just common theme with all conspiracy theories. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think there's also like a time delta on the conspiracy theory where yeah. you have a chance to really wake people up and make them care and change uh-huh. the narrative. And then after that point, it's just like, hey, buddy, are you obsessed with this and you need to just stop talking about it? Yeah. Or, like, what's going on with you talking right. about this for 10, 15, exactly. 20 years afterwards as though it happened yesterday? Right. Well, and then you also, like, you get to some conspiracies, and I guess most of them are like that. You get to the end of it, and you're like, so what? Like, you could be 100% correct. 9-11 could be a total inside government job. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. so what? What is it really? It doesn't change anything. Uh, no one's no yeah. one's in jail. You know, these people are still dead. There's thousands of people that are still dead. The systems that came out of 9-11, like all of the policies or whatnot, like national security, we went to Afghanistan, like that's all done, right? It's already all happened. And it seems mm-hmm. like it's just going to continue. Like there's nothing you can really do at like an individual level to to really change anything and it's kind of like it's almost yeah. sad right i don't know it's, it's pretty frustrating because it's like well what are we going to do go march together and protest in front of a government building yeah yell at it? like is that really going to do too much and no, it, some things that you could do but it's just like you can't do those things and i feel like that's even worse right like you you become like people will like ostracize you like a like you're a QAnon or you went like a, you're a uh-huh. january 6th right or like if you gather with a bunch of people and you, you know, you have these kind of conspiracy, I guess, conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. people are just well, going to label you as like an outsider. Yeah. And the other thing is you're gathering with a lot of people. And yeah. You're go- like, let's, let's just say for arguments purposes, the government did it, knew about it or anything like that and then needed to cover it up. If you're in a large group of people, do you not think that they would place people in there who are going to rile everyone up, discredit the entire Mm -hmm. group? And they they probably wouldn't even believe it. They could be an FBI informant. They Mm -hmm. could be a government worker who has a reason to shut this down. And then that entire group is discredited. So it's almost like that's the worst possible option to go into a group because like say January 6th, some people think it was all natural. Some people think that people were fired up by Trump. Other people think that there were people in the crowd that fired everyone up. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter because now that entire group is discredited. Whatever they were concerned about doesn't matter anymore. They lost all their power and influence. Yeah. So it's almost like you have to do it all so well and so quickly. (laughs) Yeah that it's impossible because what what was really trying to be stopped was it trying to raise awareness for the fact that all these people died for no reason the firefighters and everyone involved in the cleanup died for no reason Mm -hmm. or could it also have been hey let's not go to afghanistan or iraq to fight yeah for essentially freedom is what they told or we're fighting against weapons of mass destruction that we now know didn't exist. Yeah. So right. you have like maybe what, like a year to get everyone on the same page that so you can shut all that down. Yeah. It's almost impossible. But I still think at the end of the day, it's more interesting and empowering to know, or at least know that there isn't a higher truth to what's been told as the true story. Yeah, and I think that's what most people are trying to figure out when they, um, when they like talk about and research conspiracy theories. It's like 
people want to know the truth, right? And uh, people want to know that about everything. We just want to know the truth. And I feel like when it comes to things like this, people really feel like they have an edge on everyone else when you know a conspiracy and you're right about it, right? Like mm -hmm. if you if you're Alex Jones and you know about Bohemian Grove and you actually get in and you're like, hey, something's weird here and I'm the first one to know about it. Well, that's where you like, that's where you know people are gonna follow your conspiracy. Like you can, and you can make money yeah. off of that too, right? And people just gravitate towards that. When you find some information that's new and it's contrary to what like, the popular narrative is people there's a certain type of people that follow that and it's yeah it's interesting i think when i we said it before but when you follow one conspiracy it's it's really easy to just get into more and more but yeah uh-huh yeah i think one of the best reasons to actually understand these conspiracies and one thing that I kind of want to get out before we go any further is the fact that the word conspiracy theory was created for people who questioned the John F. Kennedy assassination by the CIA. Mm, so that during okay. the court case about it, they could discredit anyone in the future as a conspiracy theorist. So now mm. there is a little bit of a negative connotation to yeah. the word conspiracy theory. I was just going to say. Well, at the end of the day, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, what does that really mean? It right. just means you're questioning the mainstream narrative about it, which yeah. isn't that at all. That is so, yeah. there is a huge negative connotation just with conspiracy theory. I mean, both conspiracy, like you hear that if you type it in almost any news source and it's going to almost be an article discrediting the conspiracy theory, right? You're never going to yep. research conspiracy theories and popular articles are going to support those theories. It's almost always there's these crazy people and this is what they believe. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the ultimate benefit to understanding some of these conspiracy theories is you don't have to be so angry about polarizing issues in the government. Because mm -hmm. nowadays people are either really hard right-wing or really hard left-wing. Right. And whenever their team doesn't win, yeah, it's they're so all hell angry breaks about loose. it. Yep. But, but now that I understand certain things and have a little bit less trust in the government, yeah, I see both sides of the political sphere as two wings on the same bird. Yeah. So at the end of the day, it's that same bird flying. You're just looking at one wing or the other wing. Very and now true. that I see the entire bird, then I don't have to be as angry, as frustrated. Uh -huh. I just keep going about my day living my own life, mm -hmm. which is more empowering than having the TV or your political interest yeah. or some person that you've never met in real life but talks really nice on a podium fire you up or make you sad or anything like that. Mm -hmm. You don't have to believe that stuff anymore. But I kind of like to get into a little bit more of now that we've kind of established that there's something a little bit fishy going along with the building and why it needed to be demolished. Yeah. How did it fall? Like, do you think that it was airplanes and the jet fuel yeah. that made it fall? Yeah. Or what do you think? So, right, this is, this is where you, this is where it's like, man, I got to, I got to be, I got to have a PhD in physics and I got to start analyzing blast patterns of building walls. And so it's almost like, I guess I can give you my best, you know, estimate of what I think happened, but, um, you know, what I know, but I guess, um, 
I, I guess I don't know, right? The, the, I guess the theory that, that the official report that we've been told is these planes entered the buildings and the jet fuel, uh, it didn't melt the steel beams, but it weakened them enough to bend them and then pull the outer column supports and it would break them and fall in. Right. And then the mm-hmm. building kind of caved in and fell on itself. Right. That's that's yeah. what we were kind of officially told. Right. I, I guess you could say that's somewhat the official report. Um, uh-huh. But then uh, you have reports from NIST and NIST is the National Institute and Standards of Technology. Right. And they run they ran all these simulations on the buildings and they did like temperature, uh, they did temperature radar checks or whatever you want to call it. They just scanned these buildings just to see how hot, you know, how hot everything was. And all of those scans came back below a thousand degrees. I think they were all under 500 degrees Fahrenheit, um, mm-hmm. which isn't even enough to weaken steel beams, I don't think. So it's strange. And then you also get this report. I'm going to find this quote that I have. Um, they, here we go. Of more than the 170 areas examined on the 16 perimeter columns, only three columns had evidence that the steel reached temperatures over 480 degrees. That was straight from NIST. Like I pulled that from their their document yesterday, the damage and failures report. Uh, like they said it themselves. They only had three columns that even reached over 480. And later they go on to say that they didn't even have enough samples of steel beams to give a good answer of whether or not they were melted down. So I don't know. Um, I guess then you kind of have to lead to the theories of, well, was it a controlled demolition? Um, it's it's also strange because the majority of support in these towers was in the core. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know, there's a lot of, they, they had elevator shaft, they had a whole new system put in a few months before, I guess it was the largest and most modern elevator system in the world at that time. And it was put in a few months beforehand. So some people theorize that, well, I guess a lot of people had access to those elevator shafts, which also supported 60% of the buildings. People could have been in and out there placing charges and bombs with, you know, no suspicion. So that's a huge, uh-huh. that's that's probably the most, I don't know, I hear about that one the most. But I guess I don't know. Yeah. Um, after, after going through all of this, um, I, I, came, I became more confused, honestly. I just... That was, mm-hmm. That's how I came out of it. How about you? What do you What do you think would happen? <laughs> yeah, well, I've had a lot of different opinions throughout the years, and the thing that's so frustrating to me is there's a lot of people who don't believe in the official narrative, mm-hmm. but have such conflicting stories. And the I recently saw a video, this most recent um, 9/11, 2022, and 
it was refuting all of the, it was someone who didn't believe in the official story, but refuted almost every of the most popular conspiracy claims about it. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I found most interesting was the fact that if they were placing charges and bombs, there couldn't have been any cell phone activity while that was going on because it could have easily automatically set off the bombs prematurely if their plan was to set them off that day. Hmm. Like, what do you say? A certain amount of time after the airplane sits and make it seem like that's what happened. Yeah. But what really doesn't sit well with me is the fact that the mainstream story is essentially that the jet fuel burned so hot that the towers just collapsed in on themselves in a free fall. Yeah. And one thing that I found interesting was in researching other buildings that collapsed due to fire, none of them collapsed in on themselves. Mm -hmm. They never collapsed in their own shadow. They always collapsed to one side or the other, or one part of the building collapsed and the other stayed up, Mm -hmm. things like that. It was never just all at the same time. Yeah. So one thing that I've heard interesting, and we can get into the video that I sent you, but Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s was actually talking about how he could bring down a bridge in a matter of 12 seconds by finding its frequency. And essentially what he was implying was he could use a directed energy weapon to bring down a building based on its frequency without any bombs, any fires, or anything like that. And because the building collapsed at the, like most buildings in terms of physics that collapse, they collapse in a certain amount of time that is easily calculable. Yeah. And this building didn't follow those equations when it collapsed. So that makes me think that something else is going up. So I'm not saying that this is the true story. Yeah. But right now, it's just the most interesting out there and compelling one for me is that somehow the frequency of the building was found and brought down, which coincides with the fact that it was a plan to bring it down in the first place. Yeah. And I think as interesting and out there as it might sound, I think the airplanes might have been a distraction from that. Because most people don't think about it. They're not physicists. They're Mm -hmm. not architects. They're not engineers. They'll see this and they'll be like, oh, well, I mean, it makes sense. You know, the jet fuel really boosted up the heat of the flames, weakened the structure of the building, and it collapsed in on itself. Yeah. But one reason why I'm more interested in the directed energy weapon and frequency claim is because Donald Trump, his uncle, was actually in Nikola Tesla's room first after he passed away. It was a hotel room. Mm -hmm. And he got to see all of the information that Tesla had. And the only reason that I'm even connecting these dots other than the sheer fact that it's Trump, he's powerful, he's popular. His uncle happened to be the one who was in the most famous and effective scientist ever's room first who had this technology is the way that he reacted after the event. Because you would think, like, hey, my building's close. Larry Silverstein, Larry Silverstein was his friend. Larry Silverstein's my friend. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of New York in- people here that passed away, are still in danger, things like that. You would think he would be somber, sad, upset, along those lines. His interviews afterwards, you'll never guess what one of the first things that he says in them is. What's he that? says, those buildings used to be the tallest in New York City, now mine is. Essentially, not those words, but yeah. that's what he's saying. Yeah. So if you want to play that video and skip to like 142, yeah. I think it might be interesting to just get into that. I'll let you know when to stop or just whenever you think. But I'm 
pretty much just looking for his initial response right. to the question. Okay, so it starts yeah. at 142. How long do you think I should play? Because you won't be able to hear me. Uh, I'll pull it up, too. Okay. So I can hear it a little bit. It's a pretty tough situation. Donald, uh, you have one of the landmark buildings down in the financial district, 40 Wall Street. Uh, did you have any damage, or did you know what, what's happened down there? Well, it was an amazing phone call I made. 40 Wall Street actually was the second tallest building in downtown Manhattan. Oh my God! And it was actually, before the World Trade Center, was the tallest. And then when they built the World Trade Center, it became known as the second tallest, and now it's the tallest. And I just spoke to my people, and they said it's the most unbelievable sight. It's probably seven or eight blocks away from the World Trade Center, and yet Wall Street is littered with two feet of stone and brick and mortar and steel. And there are thousands of people walking over the, the debris, over the Brooklyn Bridge, where they're sending them out over the Brooklyn Bridge to Brooklyn, and then I guess they're going to have to figure out how to get home from there. Yeah, they have, like they have between a foot and two feet of debris uh, right in front of a building that's probably, you would say, Alan, six or seven blocks away. Donald, this is Roland Smith. Uh, hi, Roland. You know, hi, how you doing? On this kind of day. You know, at some point, we're going to put all this behind us. And you as a visionary, particularly in, uh, in New York real estate, what do you think that we ought to do as a city, as a people, uh, when all of this gets, when the morning stops, when, when the dead are, are honored, and, uh, and we've found out what caused it and maybe corrected it? What does the city need to do? Well, I guess the big thing that, that you really will have to do is never forget. You just can't forget that something like this happened. I was so disappointed when they closed the stock exchange, but of course, at some point, you had no choice. You know, when they initially announced it was closing, because you want to just say, the hell with it, you're going forward, you nothing's going to change. But yeah, what, uh, yeah, I think I went a little far. Okay. But, but yeah. Did you hear what he said? Yeah, he was yeah. No, he was he was pretty pretty blunt about it at the beginning there, yeah. Uh huh. There wasn't very much remorse or sadness for what had happened. It was more, you know, oh my buddy Larry Silverstein's buildings aren't the tallest anymore. <laughs> no, yeah, that's very much what it sounded like. Yeah. He's like, Oh, it became the first the tallest, and then it was the second tallest. Jeez. Uh huh. Yeah, which makes you think, is he just that arrogant, or did he also know? Uh, yeah, no, I think he's just arrogant, honestly. <laughs> I think we've kind of seen that yeah. over the past few years, but, wow, uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, so I think my most interesting theory is just that it could have been a directed energy weapon after the airplanes had already hit to bring it down <laughs> more than free fall speed like faster than free fall speed of what it should have been and it collapsed in on itself in its own shadow rather than one side collapsing at once and the other later or I guess, leaning to one side you know I, what i'm saying yeah i guess i have seen some videos of controlled demolitions though where the building just kind of falls in on itself but that was a controlled demolition right this is, uh -huh. I mean, as of the official report, this was a building that just kind of fell in on itself, and which it's, it, it, I don't know, it doesn't make sense. And I guess one thing that the video, the documentary that I was watching, um, I can't give a source with this, but it said that these buildings are able to withstand like four to five times the force that 
um, that the plane gave, you know, and it's able to withstand a passenger airline flight going into it, which I mean, it makes sense that these buildings are like they should be required to withstand a lot of force. Um, Another interesting thing that uh, um, has to like. So there's there was this fire spray proofing on all basically every everywhere that had support or um, that had like foundation right they had this fire spray proofing that apparently had gotten knocked off when the building was hit by the plane which allowed for these steel beams to be melted um, otherwise mm-hmm. th- that's that's like so crucial is. Um, in order for these steel beams to be weakened, their fireproof seal coating needs to get knocked off, which <laughs> apparently happened when the plane hit the building. But you have so many reports of people sitting in their offices. They're only uh, they're like 10 stories above or below the impact. And uh, you have these stories of people don't they don't even realize what happened you know they they feel they feel the building shake a bit but it doesn't necessarily sway back and forth and it doesn't interesting too yeah because like when you're driving past someone on the highway and your windows are down yeah you hear them you know they just went past you You can you would think a jet airliner going that fast you would at least hear it approaching yeah and then you would connect the dots that something just happened that's the i mean i i guess i don't i what's and again i'm not i don't have a phd in any anything right but it seems so strange that you can be standing in a building and you can feel the impact of this plane just barely but uh-huh. you can feel it and that plane is dislodged in the building and the building is now it's just holding the plane and somehow that building ends up falling down on itself like it just it doesn't make i don't know it does not make it doesn't make sense uh-huh yeah well i don't know if we're gonna get to the bottom of the buildings but i think if we talk about the pentagon did you do any research into that one um what what necessarily i guess there's a lot of i guess we could start with um just the interesting ability of that pilot um did you look into <laughs> yeah. yeah he's yeah I listen to that. he's doing all these strange maneuvers in the plane that apparently only professionals should be able to do and this guy and i've heard that professionals can't even do them most of the time yeah i there were a few simulations which is also kind of debatable there's been simulations on both ends of the spectrum where people say hey i'm able to do this and then people are like hey no there's no way i can do this so i think when you kind of uh-huh. like when you look at that you just kind of have to be like you both are crazy it doesn't really matter i guess but it's still interesting. They have these flight patterns, and we know this pilot did these strange maneuvers, right? He, I think he might have circled the Pentagon, and then he did a free fall at one point, but then got the plane back under control. But the strangest uh-huh. part about this to me is if you are looking to do as much damage as possible and you're flying this plane you are going to you're going to hit the roof of that building you're going to you're going to try to come straight down 
as much as yep. possible on that building or you're going <laughs> to that's probably all you're going to do honestly or you're just going to you're going to hit the middle of the building you're going to try to hit as much as possible but instead he gets down to a crazy low altitude people thought this was a military jet when it passed by it was an aircraft it was a it was a commercial airliner that was flying almost 500 miles an hour probably less than 100 feet above the like above the ground and it just slams into a building of the side of a wall that had been recently mm-hmm. reinforced to withstand airplane uh you know i think it was airplane and even missiles it, it had special kevlar like coating on the wall so there was very little damage compared to like what actually could have happened so that i guess yeah. that's the most that is the most interesting part to me is why is this pilot who supposedly couldn't even solo a single engine jet he wasn't allowed to fly without a without somebody in the cockpit with him which if you're looking to get your license as a pilot or do any sort of flying i guess that's one of the most basic things to do is just fly solo like you got to be able to do it yourself he wasn't even allowed to do that Mm -hmm. apparently a few months before he was trying to solo and go across the hudson river or something like that i don't know if you got it if you heard about that i never heard about that actually no yeah i think I'm not sure. I, it was in the documentary. I don't, I don't know. I can't give proof, but um, I don't know. There's just these weird inconsistencies again um, about the pilot. And I guess the weirdest thing for me about the Pentagon is just why are you not – he obviously was not going for the most damage. I don't know. It's kind of strange, which is kind of crude well, to say, right? Can, but uh, Yeah, yeah. Also, well, we, if he's able to do all these maneuvers, what is he doing not making the most damage possible? Which is interesting because the spot where they actually... The spot where um, they hit was on was the it, opposite end of where everything important was, too. Like, yep, it, yep. it didn't even matter so, if he hit the building on that end. Like, it didn't... Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you come across any of the people discussing how there was literally no video of an airplane ever hitting it? Well, so yeah, that's, that's another thing that's crazy is we, and I'm pretty sure that still holds true today. We still only have one camera angle of any of this happening, right? It's that one Uh and it comes from, uh, it comes from like a security gate to the entrance of like a parking lot. And it shows like a side angle of the wall and you just get about three to five, like three to five frames of this white blur slamming into the wall and then it explodes. And then we're told to, we're told to believe. And I I mean, that totally could have been a plane in my eyes. People debate, then they say it was a missile or whatnot, or it wasn't real. And I mean, I don't know. You have three to five frames and it's going 500 miles an hour you're not going to be able to tell what like what the hell that is um i i but i just don't know why you don't give us more footage like yeah I, I, dude, that's what i well, don't understand. it's just it's so hard to believe for me that this guy who i'm pretty sure was he one of the ones who was trained at a Air Force Base in Florida. So I think I'm not sure if he was. Yeah, but I think there was some information and that I, I think, came across that just yeah, I remember, just implied that he was lower of the bottom of his class. I had I had heard about that too, and I think it was I remember hearing about Florida, and there might have been one in Arizona, New Mexico too. Um, but 
I, d I do remember hearing about that. Every time they mentioned any of these pilots, any of the training that they had received, first of all, their English was horrible. So anytime they had talked to like one of their instructors, they immediately questioned, how is this license even real? He can't speak English. Like they were just so confused about the whole situation, I guess. But I did hear a lot about that. There was just confusion on how these guys were even able to manage a Boeing 737 or whatever it was in the air at that time. I don't know, but yeah. 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 Well, I it's, I don't know. It's, it's real complicated in so many different ways, but one of the things that is just so fascinating is the, on just on September 10th, like the day before mm -hmm. the defense secretary Rumsfeld, who you had previously stated was, encouraged not to fly commercial yeah. and charter flights instead. He actually disclosed that his department was unable to account for roughly like 2.3 trillion worth of transactions. Yeah. Dude, Donald's dude. And then this, no one ever asked about it again. Yeah. No one ever asked it about it again. <laughs> no, that's that that is a huge thing and that's another thing that just never gets talked about is how is the Pentagon losing trillions of dollars? Like yeah. Trillions, which is I guess out of everything, I feel like we should be asking that the most, right? It's like, uh -huh. that's, it's one, one, it's not your money. You, you know, first, like, and then you lost it. What's going on? But Donald Rumsfeld, mm -hmm. he is, he's got some he's shady character. Oh my goodness. So he acted like a whole passer. He was, a, he's a secretary of defense, right? So his position uh -huh. at the Pentagon during this time should be information gathering and how do we stop this from happening, right? Um, they, yep. they knew that these planes had been hijacked for over, over 30 minutes before they hit both towers and the Pentagon. And how is the greatest military in the world not able to send fighter jets to take these these down like you know what i mean and yeah that's the that's one of the biggest things that um i guess you could say debunkers that's what they're trying to answer right is how there was this huge breakdown in the chain of command and they basically like it's just incompetence there's just they call it the incompetence theory i guess where people just were not able to communicate with each other in certain instances people were absent or whatever and we weren't able to send fighter jets out I, I think there was also um there were like up to 10 different training situations going on at air force bases across the united states during 9 11 during this time and instead, yeah, that. yeah but what's crazier is instead of calling these jets home or saying hey we got to stop all this training. We have an actual like real world situation going on. They just they just let them train. They continue the training. And uh -huh. there's like this time goes on and just we don't get fighter jets anywhere. Uh, there was, yeah. I think his name was Richard Myers, Richard B. Myers. Um, he was in, uh, in Colorado in the base there. I forgot what the base is called. Um, shoot. Oh, Ralph Eberhardt. That's who it was. He was in charge of NORAD on 9-11. And NORAD is the Northern Command 
uh, it was the Air Force Base in Colorado, like the the our number one Air Force Base. He was in charge during 9/11, and he was just out completely out of touch with any communication that was going on during this time. He was in a meeting and then he left the meeting and took a drive to Shy- to Mount Cheyenne. I can't remember the reasoning why, but he was just completely out of touch. No one could get uh no one could call him on the phone for over 30 minutes. And it's like 9:30 mm-hmm. on 9/11 as the towers are being hit. And he's in command at like the biggest base in the United States and he no one can find him. So and somehow he keeps his job, which is crazy. You have all you have Donald Rumsfeld also keeps his job. He's the Secretary of Defense and it's 10:39 this year. There's a quote I have. Uh, he was just gaining situational awareness when he spoke to the Vice President at 10:39. That was a quote he gave. It's in the 9/11 Commission mm-hmm. report. 10:39 on 9/11. That's when everything was done. The Pentagon had been hit. Both towers are down, and you've got a plane in Pennsylvania or whatever, right? So yep. he's gaining situational awareness when everything is done, and he's the Secretary of Defense. That doesn't make yep. sense. Not only does he not and lose his job, but then he gets to have the biggest increase of military spending since the Vietnam War. And he gets to pick and choose whatever happens in Afghanistan. And it, it's just crazy. Like, how how does this man keep his job? Well, just going back to what you were saying about why we didn't send out fighter jets, shoot down the planes, you know. Mm-hmm. People in the planes are going to die, but we're going to limit the amount of civilian deaths. Elsewhere, towers, Pentagon, mm-hmm. anywhere else. Why didn't that happen? There's a few options. One of them that's probably the most conspiratorial would be there were no plans to shoot down. Yep, yeah. Every Everything just, there was no plans to shoot down. That's why nothing happened. The other is incompetence, kind of like you were just talking about, you know, why is this guy talking to, um, he's being updated on everything that's already happened after it happened. You're mm-hmm. the Secretary of Defense. What's your job? Your mm-hmm. job is to defend. Your job isn't to go into offensive mode afterwards or just be incompetent the whole time. It's to defend. Yes. What are you doing? Yeah, you're standing. The other point that I want to make, it's just I get that George Bush was reading books to kids in Florida, <laughs> but why is the vice president running central command on this? Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. And why I, is he talking to the Secretary of Defense like he's the one with all the information and power? George Bush, the second any information would have come into play, should have been the one who was running point, even if it was through phone calls from a distance, because he's the commander in chief. That is The very vice president true. is basically a little secretary for the president on most levels, who handles everything that isn't as important for the president to do, handles perception, doesn't handle the biggest attack on American soil in history. <laughs> yeah, that that is a great point. I guess, yeah, why, especially as like a country, why would you, like you want your president to be the one making those decisions too, right? Like that's why he's uh-huh. there. Ah, that is strange though. I guess I've never really thought about that. He really was in no position to make any decisions but i guess i guess no one was right there was no one yeah. no decisions were actually made and oh, i was so weird there's another there was another um another guy his name is ben ben silney i think 
or no, uh, Lieutenant General Mike Canavan. He was uh, at the FAA headquarters. He's like their, he was their number one guy at the time. And if they wanted any call to shoot down planes, uh, it had to like go through him first. They needed to, he was like one of the last guys to give that information before it was given to the president. And this dude was in Puerto Rico and didn't even designate somebody to take his place on 9-11. And instead oh of, so there was no one in charge at the FAA at this time. At the, there was no one at the head of the FAA. So then there was this other guy, the guy who I mentioned earlier, Ben, I think it's Ben Silney. Um, he was basically going to be the guy in charge. And it was his like first day on the job. And that was the case with uh-huh. another guy too. It was also his first day on the job. And they needed, it was this chain of command that that was just, it was broken before the day even began. There's a guy in Puerto Rico and he didn't even give somebody the power to make decisions. And then you have two guys who it's their first day on the job. And then you have the other guy in Colorado who's driving to Mount Cheyenne and no one can talk to him. And it's just like, so all these people who are supposedly supposed to be in charge of the nation's defense is just not accessible. No one can talk to them. And the president's reading books Uh to children in Florida. Yeah. Like what Uh is going on? How are all these things perfectly landing on today <laughs> like and you know what you know what this kind of brings up what's that you have two options either the government is so unprepared and incompetent to handle the most important situations that they could possibly have mm-hmm. or there was a liability shield for all these people like say let's go through the list donald rumsfeld didn't know any information until after it happened yep the vice president, who it shouldn't have been his responsibilities, is running point. George Bush had no information and wasn't running point, didn't have any power to stop the situation. The oh. leader of the FAA, who had the power to shut down all of these planes. He's in Puerto Rico. Yep. The other guy is his first day. Another uh, department, first day. No one has liability here. It's a shield. So yeah. this could point towards... Uh, they could have made the plan or allowed this to happen and then used all of these discrepancies and, you know, honest it's, mistakes. It's the incompetence as excuse. a shield for for any uh, responsibility that would have had to have been taken, losing yeah. your jobs, being yes. sued, going to prison, all of these different things. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point. I I mean you you could you take you could take this two ways, right? You can go all the way in and say yeah, they knew this was happening and that was their excuse to get out of getting in trouble, right? Um, or you could just say, hey, they they really were incompetent and they had no sort of communication with each other. And it just so uh-huh. happened that all of these factors, there's new people, there's no people. It just so happened that they all happened at once and it was just the worst possible time. Like I can totally see that happening too. But then it's also yeah. like, hey... There were still zero jets that were in the air until after this all happened. Like, hey, we eventually got jets over there. Like, they got there, but it was an hour and a half, two hours too late, which Uh just does not make sense for the United States. Like, you, I feel like it just doesn't matter. I I don't know. It's just uh, that doesn't make sense to me is how do you not get any fighter jets in the air? I feel like 
if you're in any sort of military developed country, that is extremely possible to happen. Like it's, it's almost, Uh it's not even like a, like it's an expectation. Like you should be able to have fighter jets within different States within 20 minutes. Like that shouldn't be, that shouldn't even be a question. And as like, if you're right, you're a citizen of the United States, that should worry you. It doesn't matter if if it's because they're they're fucking dumb or if it's because they just have different motives and they want these things to happen. It should scare you. Like this should not happen to mm-hmm. our country. The way that our country is presented to ourselves and the way it's presented to the world is things like 9/11 just should not happen. But yeah, I don't know, yeah. It did so. Well, at what point do you just consider there's too many things and too many people who got lucky and never had to take responsibility yeah. for their failures? There's so many lucky little Larry Silverstein. Yeah, yeah, I like Donald that. Rumsfeld, George Bush, Dick Cheney, all these people. And this is where I start to get a little bit more into my mind of who if we're actually going to make a commitment to the fact that there were people who allowed it to happen. Yeah. Or planned it. Because I'm not on the level of any of this was planned. Yeah. For the most part. I I agree with you. I I, think there's a part of me that thinks, yes, this could have been planned within the government, within certain high-level wealthy citizens like Larry Silverstein who had something to gain. Yeah. And then there's another part of it where the government especially could have just been incompetent or unprepared to handle these situations or then saw what was happening and allowed it to happen. Because it's really tough for me, even knowing some of the other conspiracies, to just consider the fact that so many people, so many people died and then their families' lives changed forever. And even some of the people who survived got mesothelioma, right. lung problems mm-hmm. on ground zero. Yeah. Do I really think that these people were okay with that? Because then you have to think what was there to gain for them personally. Exactly. And there is certain connections that you can make, like Dick Cheney, former CEO of Halliburton, then gives them one of the biggest war contracts in history once we go into Afghanistan and Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, George Bush needed to lower gas prices, all these things, boost the economy. A war is always going to boost the economy, the stock market, all those things. I'm still at the point where once 9-11 happened, that's when they started taking advantage of what happened. Yeah, I was... The Department of Homeland Security never existed before this. Yes. And after that, there was a lot of criticism and frustration from the citizens. The Patriot Act. I was just going to say, Patriot Act, yep, yeah. People were perceiving, they were perceiving their freedoms being taken away. And I think legitimately, like, these attacks allegedly came from 19 foreign citizens from mm-hmm. different countries. And then we have the Department of Homeland Security, which mainly, rather than even going after people who would fit the descriptions of the people who hijacked the planes, they start going after U.S. citizens or you know certain groups that they deem to be a threat, regardless of whether they truly are. And then the Patriot Act starts allowing the government to spy on its own citizens. Mm-hmm. This attack was carried out allegedly by 19 members of different countries who came into our country, were trained at our Air Force bases, overtook these planes, and then 9-11 happened. What happens after that? We get the <laughs> Department of Homeland Security, we get the Patriot Act, and we get two wars in two different countries than 
every single member that yeah. hijacked the airplane. Yeah, Iraq and which Afghanistan. Is crazy. Yeah, and they're all and Saudis. And I understand not. Yep, and I understand not going to war with Saudi Arabia because they uphold the U.S. dollar like no other country does through. <laughs> the petrodollar which was set up so when saudi arabia drills oil and sells it they're only taking transactions in u.s dollars which boosts the value of our money so i'm not criticizing them for not going to war with saudi arabia what my criticism is is why are we going to iraq why are we going to afghanistan and then after we're there why does their oil output and their opium output go up more and more every year that we're right. there. Yeah. While repeatedly news articles in the United States are saying that's what we're there to stop. <laughs> yeah. No, and then we got like opium issues in the country. You know, people are there's yep. hundreds of thousands of people who are addicted to pills in this country. It's like, what are we doing? Uh, did you um, did you see what I put in there? Uh, there should be a graph that I have. It doesn't say that it's a graph. I believe it says it should be um, it says opioid graph. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like two numbers. Yep. If you click on that, you'll see that the opioid Oh, yeah, look at this. That one is yep. So if you look at it, we got into those countries in about 2002, probably started ramping everything up around 2003. Yep. The United States didn't really have a really strong opioid problem until after that. Right, And even after the illegal opiates were shipped into our country and people started overdosing, they also started using synthetic opiates for painkillers and other things like that, right. like oxy, you know, all of these other prescribed drugs. Yeah. yeah Is there a that. correlation here that a lot of people aren't seeing? Because I think most people don't really comprehend why we were in those countries in the first place. And now they understand that we should have never been there. Right. But until you realize that there's dots that need to be connected, <laughs> you'll yeah. probably never understand why it's such a big deal that 9-11 either happened or was allowed to happen. Yeah. Because without it, none of these things would have been allowed to happen either. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what is it all about? Money. Money. Yep. 100%. I think, and I was just gonna say that's that's what it ends up being. Like, why are they? Why are we sourcing opium from out over there and then bringing it here? It's like just need the money. Uh-huh. Gotta gotta fund things. Gotta gotta improve. Gotta improve American society <laughs> with drugs mm-hmm. and yeah. Well, another crazy thing that and- I I love is like the whole they've got mass weapons of destruction, right? And also. How many yeah. members of Al Qaeda even were there? They're like less than a thousand, maybe. And I think we got rid yep. of literally all of Al Qaeda and then the Taliban within a few months, and we're there in Afghanistan for twenty years. Like, come on, guys, what are we doing? <laughs> These things just don't add yeah. up. Like, we- and there's actually videos. There's videos put out by one of the top reporters from Fox News back when we were like really into these wars mm-hmm. of U.S. troops guarding the opium field. Yep. Yeah. 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 Them. I remember. Th- I think I watched that in high school. We were in Chuck Oliver's class, and I'm pretty sure we're watching videos of like U.S. troops walking through opium fields. It's just like, yeah. what is this? Uh huh. It's crazy. Because yeah. actually, if you look into it a little bit more. The story in about 2003 was that the U.S. was there to stop the opium production. Mm -hmm. But the Taliban actually outlawed opium production in 2001. 
Interesting. Which is crazy. But yeah. what you have to remember at the end of the day is, despite the fact that we got rid of these, say, 1,000 members of Al-Qaeda, mm-hmm. because we're there in their country, bombing, shooting, patrolling their streets, you're radicalizing more and more people by the day that would have been impartial or very ignorant true. to everything going on yeah. if it was a diplomatic disagreement. There are probably Yeah, there are probably more people that hate the United States now than when they did in 2001. Like uh-huh. yeah. That's as Richard, like we are over there and we're just facilitating the people who are trying to the people who supposedly did this to us were just and mm-hmm. we're antagonizing them almost. We go into their countries and then we steal their resources and we also try to change, you know, we try to democratize them and, you know, bring all our American ideals over there. And it's just not gonna work. Like there's no chance. It's not. No. Like they're they literally have their religious morals are so far I guess you could say right leaning or what they're just it's they're just not going to change. I don't even know if they're right leaning. They're just they're like I don't they're even know. Traditional would probably be the best word to describe it because most right wingers in America are nowhere near no, exactly. as traditional yeah. as those people. They're like I uh, yeah they're just, <laughs> yeah I don't know, but it's also like it's when we went into it, it there were such uh, I don't think it was as big as of a deal that we made it out to be, you know, like uh-huh. sure there were terrorists in the world, but I don't, I don't know, but I guess you could say they were, they fucking, they took down two towers. So whatever. Uh-huh. It's crazy. Yeah. Two, 3000 people in New York city translated into about 1 million middle Eastern citizens throughout the last 20 years well that's the other thing too right like sure we got rid of all those terrorists but we also got rid of a lot of their families and their children and you know Uh a lot of innocent people died from bush and obama simply because of drones and they're bombing wedding ceremonies and you know it's like what are we doing and then they get a Nobel peace prize Exactly. Yeah. Except, you know, we've got like teenagers who are practically playing video games. They've got a headset on and they're flying drones halfway across the world. And they're so desensitized to this stuff, too. So it's like, sure, you're dropping bombs on innocent, you know, children and whatnot. But it looks like it's a video game. So it's probably not reality. And even if it is reality, these are the bad people and they're against us and they don't believe in what we believe in. So therefore they must die. Like that's kind of what we Uh come down to. And it's just really sad. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the entire thing. The way that war, um, I guess you could say progressed throughout the years. Now, most of our attacks are through drones and, yeah, uh, killings where you don't have to like most people when you're on the ground mm-hmm. in the Middle East and you're in a real war scenario and something happens where you have to shoot someone, you have to go personally check your kill. Yeah, face to face. And that's where PTSD comes from. Yeah. But when you're just sitting in a little office thousands of miles away and as long as your connection is good, you can hit your target. Yeah. You have no emotional connection. No, literally. It is a video so, game. And no, just, yeah, like... Yep. P, they've been do they've been playing COD and whatnot. Like they're they're used to it. And 
I'm pretty sure I was reading like articles and whatnot of they're like rec- they're recruiting a lot of kids that are like just good at video games, right? I'm I had a professor uh-huh. in one of my classes. He said, um, you know how you'd always have like the you'd have someone from the army come to the high school and they've set up like a table or whatever. Apparently, they had like a trailer that they set up in the parking lot, and they just have a bunch of TVs where the kids will just play COD and video games. But it's all for the army, <laughs> so they've got all these oh kids God. playing video games. But it's just recruitment for the army, and it's like this is kind of getting ridiculous. <laughs> like, wow, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of just wild. That's crazy. But yeah, I don't know. I think this was a we've gotten about an hour and seven minutes in, so it's pretty good conversation so far. Um, is yeah. there anything else you want to add? I think I'm kind of, I think I kind of went through everything. Um. Yeah, I just think at the end of the day, you have to think a little bit deeper about it, and you can either come to terms with the fact that you genuinely believe the mainstream story. The other option is you can see that there were things, events that transpired and inconsistencies that took place, but at the end of the day, maybe the government just used the events of 9-11 to further their own interests in the Middle East and in the United States. Or you can say that the entire thing was planned. Mm -hmm. And I'm not willing to make a statement on any of them except for that I don't believe the exact mainstream story that was taught to me. And that's okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. No, I think I agree with you there. I don't I don't think I necessarily agree 100% with what I'm told, but I also think I would just need more clarification. Like we just there's so many questions that have been unanswered and I doubt we'll get an answer. You know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. doc just government documents too. The 9/11 Commission report, it, you know, it's a summary of what they found. It's not even everything that they have. And there's documents that they haven't shown us and they probably won't show us. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, you're sitting duck in. You're just kind of waiting for more things to happen. And I guess I agree. I mean, I don't really believe, I don't believe that like the official story, but I also, I also could, could believe it, I guess. I just need more information because I feel like we're just not being told the full story and we probably won't be told the full story maybe ever. But if so, it's not going to be for another 20 years before at least all these people are dead. So, and even if we are told the real story, no one is going to recognize it as the real story anyway, because John F. Kennedy was shot in 1963 and we still haven't gotten the entire documents released about it. Right. So I don't think we'll ever get the main story, even as they say it released. Mm-hmm. much less the real story itself. Yeah. So at this point, it's just interesting to run down some rabbit holes and discover some things that you would have never discovered if you weren't looking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, you just get you get kind of like an insight on possibilities that might happen when you kind of just open your mind to things that sound ridiculous. It It, mm-hmm. it is ridiculous at times, right? But also... I don't know. It just gives it gives you a different perspective on things, and that's definitely important when you, especially when you're talking about things like 9/11. You know, you just you gotta take all things into consideration. You should have an open mind to things, and I don't know. I'm glad we're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about that next, JFK. Kinda. 
Well, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna have to do a little bit more research into it, but I'll Same. I'll give you yeah. some other stuff. Like there's one that I've heard. There's some stuff about uh, General Patton from the yep. from World War II mm-hmm. and how he died and how the mainstream story, or even like Bill O'Reilly wrote a book about. I it. read that Killing like, Patton. Are you really gonna trust Bill O'Reilly, <laughs> dude? I read I read that one, and I also read his on JFK and. No shit. He inserts himself in the story of, of <laughs> he he somehow puts him on the doorstep of like a reporter a few days after. I don't even remember. I'll have to like I'll send it to you if I find it. But it's so funny. Like Bill O'Reilly's writing this book, and of course he has to put himself in the story. It's like, come on, bro. What is this? Uh-huh. Like. You, again, he's just trying to sell a book and make money at this point. He wrote Killing Jesus, too. Like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. But, yeah, right. uh, this was well, good. Yeah, I think uh, I'll let you know when I post and whatnot. And, yeah, we'll have to yeah have to come up with some, some ideas for the next few episodes. But JFK will definitely be a good one for sure. Yeah, I think this is a pretty good start. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just let you know when I post it or not, and we'll get back into it later on. So hopefully we have right. thousands of viewers that are listening to us, you know. Maybe maybe we can get some sponsorships and start paying for for some some rent or whatever. I don't know. So <laughs> Maybe Joe Rogan will let us on. Yeah, right. Yeah. That'd be <laughs> could you imagine? We, <laughs> yeah, Joe. Nine uh, Eleven was fake. Really, guys? Like, you want to try my pills? What about DMT, bro? Yeah. No, we should go. We no, we gotta go on Infowars. We gotta go on the Alex Jones show. That's that'd be lit. We no, we should try calling in or something like that. Uh, that thing. We could definitely cool. get. A, I've tried calling in before, and there's definitely people that do. Yeah. And can actually get through. Jeez, those people have to be insane. <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> all right well sounds good it was good to talk to you um we'll have to meet back and continue to do this so yeah yeah it sounds good all right have a good rest of your day yeah you too see ya bye